Hello everyone and welcome to the Truthfully Human podcast. I'm Victor and today I'm here with my co-host Courtney. At the Truthfully Human podcast, our aim is to provide a platform for real people to share their unique and inspiring stories, giving us all a lesson at the end of it. Before we jump into it, we just wanted to say sorry for the delay in uploading this episode. We've had some technical difficulties on our end, which is frustrating, but thank you for bearing with us. But now we're really excited to be introducing today's guest, Yaga Vigoda. Yaga is a really bubbly, fun person, and we'll be talking about her life as a former tennis pro, the ups and downs of being a tennis umpire, and being a representative of the Erasmus Student Network. Great to have you on. And for those who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yes, I can. <laughs> so I'm Jaga Vygota and I'm from Poland. I live in Łódź, where I also study biotechnology in English. But you caught me in Turku in Finland when I'm doing my mobility semester right now. So <laughs> uh, good for you and me, I guess. And uh, what about me? Well, I'm a huge sports fan and I used to be a tennis player and now I'm the tennis umpire. So this is um, why you have me today, I guess. And yeah, I guess that's all I can say about me. That's perfect. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm just going to shortly expand on how I know you Yaga Mm -hmm. so we've come across each other on some sort of uh, pen pal app and we just talked about food and booze the first thing (laughs) and I feel like that conversation has never ended since the past two three years Um... yes (laughs) it's mostly booze and and food the traditional one other ones like the this is the never-ending story of food so Hopefully we have like another lifetime of sharing the conversation about food. (laughs) Oh yes, please. I hope so. (laughs) Love that so much. And food and booze always brings people together. So it's nice that you guys met each other in that way. (laughs) Oh, amazing. So Yago, questions for you. Um, You were a professional tennis player for 10 years. Tell us a little bit about how you got into tennis and what drew you to it as a sport. So actually, I've started when I was six years old. I just started my education in like primary school in Poland. And my dad was a volleyball player. So it was pretty, I was pretty close to the sport from the day I was born. Uh, However, our our neighbor who lives underneath me came one day, just like knocked on the door. I was like, hello, I'm the tennis coach. Maybe Yaga would like to try tennis because like when you're six years old, it's slightly too old to start, but not really. You can start playing tennis in whatever age you want. And my parents were like, yeah, let's try it. And I stayed. (laughs) It was really cool because at first when you're like six years old, you're really energetic as a child. So parents seek like um, something for them, their children to spend the time, you know, like the sports or arts, dancing, whatever. And tennis for a six years old, it's a really good sport because we mostly run, we do our like physical strength, not much with the technique and rackets, but mostly about running, having fun with other children and like this. And after like some trainings, like I guess coaches or trainers saw something in me. <laughs> or I believe, 
and so we started training more seriously and that's how my career started then i started competing in competitions tournaments with some successes or not <laughs> dependently on the tournament i was in so this is how it started yeah it's amazing it's so nice that you're a family of sporting people and that kind of drew uh, to get into it and uh also i know as well that you mentioned just before we started that you were just talking to your dad about sport <laughs> so yeah, yeah. it's nice that that stayed with you throughout your whole life too <laughs> yeah, yeah that's why i was slightly late you you won't notice it but <laughs> yeah, yeah we're just talking about speedway this time so yeah we had to cover sports events that happened this weekend <laughs> oh yeah got to <laughs> also just recalling on your past 10 years what was your career highlight in the decade that you were a professional tennis player? I was never a really good like singles player. I was better in doubles, so I have like many more tournaments won in the doubles. It's also like mentally easier because like responsibility is on both players, not only on you, so <laughs> it's better to play doubles. And I really like to play doubles. But I think I won some tournaments. Uh, I was like the regional champion so it was my first tournament I know the second actually I won and I don't know if you can call it a highlight because I've never achieved many things in tennis I was in like top 15 which is also a funny story I have to cover because <laughs> you would like to know it I was in the tennis magazine because we have like the tennis magazine in Poland and in the last pages there's like uh, Polish rankings in every category so like under 12 14 16 18 and seniors or others and I was 15th or 14th and I managed to be on the list so I bought the magazine just to see myself on the, the last page when I was covered and I still have this magazine you still with have me. It. That's so nice. yeah it's like <laughs> it was back in 2000 11 or 12 because i was under 12 for the girls under 12. i have it like highlighted with you know some color yeah it's me look look so <laughs> i really appreciate this and maybe this is my my career highlight but <laughs> yeah i like it very much <laughs> amazing so another question for you so you've been playing tennis for 10 years and I'm sure it's taught you so many things, but what's the most valuable thing that tennis has taught you about yourself? About myself? Wow, that's a, <laughs> that's a huge question. No, but um, I believe it's a sense of responsibility and time management, actually, because um, you're not only a tennis player, but also a student. Yeah, I also had to go to the school and learn. So when you're 12 years old and you have three tennis trainings to like physical trainings and also school, so you have to be prepared for everything. And um, I think tennis taught me how to manage my time. So sometimes it happens that I actually learned during tournaments. So I was doing my maths homework or like history homework during tournaments in between matches. And I remember so many other players are like oh she's weird she's like doing school stuff come on it's like weekend we're on the tournament you this is the place you are not supposed to think about school yeah because it's like your free time and i was always really i was like straight a student so i had to 
do these things during the tournament. And I think that um, when I was a player, it really helped me. It's made me be more like yeah, yeah. disciplined and disciplined. Yeah. And now yeah. when I'm no no longer a tennis player, I can feel that I'm not longer that disciplined. <laughs> it's really hard for me now to to get to do stuff. And like four or five years ago, I wouldn't have such a problem. So it really helped me. Yeah, that's amazing. I remember you telling this story before about, um, I don't know if you could retell it. So you were in the car with your mum? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah, basically my dad, as he was a volleyball player, like basically a sports person, he was uh, mostly he mostly covered my tennis career and my mom was the one responsible for my school she really um, covered all the things i had to do for school and i remember once we were on the tournament with my mom which is really unusual because uh, i mostly did it with my dad and we were coming back from some tournament i don't recall which one but i had a um, book to read to school for Monday classes and I haven't finished it so my mom was like okay so we're driving back it will take us three four hours to get home and you'll read the book in in the car so she was driving with the light on which is really dangerous you know to have a light on in the car especially when it's dark which was no you have to read this book and I was reading out loud so she can tell that I'm actually reading and I was like, mom, no, I'm really tired. <laughs> After tournament, I, I, I achieved something I don't remember, maybe some third place or whatever. Maybe it's, it will be my award not to read this book right now. And she was like, no, you have to read it. And uh, at this time, I was really furious. And the book was so boring. I don't remember the book at all right now. But the point is that the day after, we actually got a test from the knowledge of this book. And I passed. <laughs> Were like pretty good uh, grade so I was really like thankful to my mom that she actually um, told me to to read this book and I can assure you my mom is really good person <laughs> it, wasn't, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't like this but yeah you have to learn all the time she's really demanding sometimes but it wasn't really <laughs> that hard best. come on oh, it's, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> like mom's um, I don't know how to call it, duty to mm -hmm. you know yeah, no, yeah, no. Look after their children, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I love that story so much because, I mean, I, I like, take my hat off to you because I was such a lazy kid and I was like, I don't know how I did it. I, like, coasted along, but I still got kind of good, I still got good grades, right? But I was just like, oh, you know, I won't do my homework and everything. And, like, the thought of you being at these these tournaments and working your ass off and then in your free time working your ass off on your schoolwork like that was so foreign to me because of how lazy I was so yeah I love that story so so much yeah cool because when I'm like going back with my dad we're always listening to some music talking sports and like it's a really like good conversation with my dad about everything but with mom it also was like you have to read the book and it was mm -hmm. such a difference in between my parents but fortunately it was only once with my mom so I don't like to know what would happen, what would have happened if my mom was with me on more tournaments. So <laughs> maybe it's better to have my dad. You would have gone through so many books. <laughs> I did, but... <laughs>
But also, um, with about what Tannis taught you, you, I didn't know before, but you mentioned you did a lot of doubles. Um, surely, like, you just must have been, like, phenomenal at being able to read people and teamwork and all this stuff as well. It must have really enhanced your skills in those areas. I guess so. I mean, it's mostly about the team spirit also or how you feel in the group, so in the pair. Because um, sometimes you can make a pair out of two really good people two really good players but they will suck because they cannot they don't have this bond they don't feel like playing and um it's really important people who play tennis actually know it's really important to have a stable um, partner for doubles so it's easy to play some like many tournaments with the same partner which is not usual in like kids tournaments because like kids are kids so they don't see that professional but I have had some girls like my partners which yeah with which (laughs) I really like to play both because they were good and both because we like each other and um, actually I think one of my partners wasn't that good enough like if I compare it to me of course no but (laughs) no the, the point is to play well sometimes the weakest pair on the paper it's better on the court because they understand each other better. And this is how I felt. Also, I prefer to play backhand, which is really unusual for (laughs) double plays. So it was really easier for me to find the the pair because mostly girls like to play forehand because it's easier or I guess more stable, whatever. And I prefer to play backhand and maybe that's why I was such a good doubles. (laughs) But (laughs) yeah, yeah, this is about the bonding and you really like my stories, so I will tell you one. Because Please. <laughs> I remember I played doubles with one girl. We played doubles. I've never played doubles with this girl before. And I was really known for not being polite on the court or being really depressed sometimes when I'm losing, then, then I'm losing. I never had that spirit of fighting. It was really difficult for me to actually be into the match. And... I failed to play some points or whatever. I don't remember right now. And we were giving ourselves like the high five after each play because, you know, like in volleyball or in tennis, it's really good to um, give a high five just to, you know, connect or bond, whatever. And I remember it was like really mechanic. So yeah, high five every each point. And after I failed to do something and I was really like, not in a good spirit she actually grabbed my hand I was like whoa whoa, what is happening it should be only a clap yeah and I remember she was like holding my hand until I was ready to play she was like Yaga look at me we're playing it's gonna be okay yeah and she gave me like the pep talk you need every time and I was like oh god I have to play and this is really good connection between players because this is the first time I actually noticed that, wow, so the second person is on the court also to help you not to win the match, but to help your like mental um, mental sphere when you're playing. And I will remember forever this this longer handshake because I was it was so unexpected, but it helped me so much. And after that, when we changed partners or whatever, I always did it to my other partners because I believe it was such a strong thing to do to bond to players and get them into the game. So, 
that's the story you wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah, no, that's amazing. That's amazing. And I love so much about that story that it helped just like shift your perspective. Yeah. Of like, you know, we're not just here because, you know, two people play the game and that's it. It's like, actually, there's some real benefit to this. And oh, yeah, great story. Yeah, I love it. Thanks. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> now, Yaga, would it be possible if you could expand uh, a little bit on how your tennis career came to an end? Yeah, you get me. You had to ask that. Yeah. Oh, we had to. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. No, I mean, uh, I had a wrist injury. My left hand was out of order, I would say. <laughs> and I couldn't play backhand anymore. It was actually such a pain that I couldn't even lift a cup like this or normal. I couldn't even move my left hand. So it was really dangerous, to be honest. But it was mostly like the nerves, not the muscles or bones or whatever. So you couldn't do much about this um, except for some messages or like physio visits. So the recovery was really long. It took me two or three months to actually be able to use my left wrist again. But after this, it was never the same. I slightly changed the way I was playing on my backhand side because of the left hand. And uh, it was most. It was also about my knees. <laughs> As you see, sports is all healthy <laughs> until you get the injury, you know. <laughs> so. Um, I got a problem with knees, which is really popular also among tennis players to have a knee injury or like elbow injury, wrist or whatever. And now I cannot run over the hard surfaces. It's really difficult for me. I feel my knees and I shouldn't feel them <laughs> in that way. So I couldn't play anymore on the hard surfaces, the tennis courts or hearts or whatever. And we decided that I cannot, I cannot longer be a professional because it's too dangerous and I wasn't also really promising tennis player <laughs> to be honest <laughs> I got my chances I got my moments uh, some tournaments I won and I'm really glad that I did it it was a really beautiful journey but I couldn't continue and I felt it was sad for me because this is a thing I really wanted to do for uh, like 10 years. I just started being a tennis player and this is the only thing I really wanted to do. But in the end, the decision was clear. I had to stop being a professional. So this is how it came to end when I was 16. So yeah. So as a 16 year old, how did that change your relationship with tennis as a sport? Uh, it changed, but not that much, to be honest, because in the same year, I still had a license as a player. I did a, a tennis umpire course, so I could be the tennis umpire. And this is actually what my mom suggested, because uh, one of my friends, who was also a tennis player, decided to switch sides to the dark side of being the, <laughs> the umpire. And uh, I followed the same way. And I, I'm really glad that my mom actually convinced me to do that because I wasn't really into the stuff. But she was like, Yaga, try. I will like, I will pay for, for this tennis course. Dad will drive you to the, another city and all the stuff. So do it. And I wasn't convinced, but I was like, yeah, it shouldn't be that hard because I already know the rules, maybe not all of them, but still I was a tennis player for so long that it shouldn't be hard. And then I went to be the tennis umpire. So the relationship changed 
because it's like 180 degrees different thing of what I was doing. I switched to the dark side, as I was saying, because, you know, you hate umpires until you are one. So <laughs> I guess that's the rule in every sport. <laughs> and I know it, <laughs> unfortunately, right now. But I, I kept um, being close to the sport that I love. And I think that's the beautiful side of what I'm doing right now. Definitely. And I just want to say that your mum seems like such a wise woman. <laughs> From uh, she is sometimes too wise. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't they all? Aren't all mums like that? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Hopefully one day if I'm ever a mum, I can like catch my kids up like that too. And like oh. <laughs> help them with like, it. Like, come on, she was really convincing, but like I had to give it to my dad as well because he was the one who paid and who drove me to the trophy to the to the place and he was there like he did everything for my career in terms of like going for tournaments and even for my umpire career so my mom convinced me but in fact it was my dad who actually did you know the other stuff not the mental sphere but you know well, they're so. a good team then your mom and your yeah, dad. yeah they yeah. are <laughs> yeah, come on you see me they oh, have to yeah, be a yeah. good I love it. I love it so much. What words of advice would you give to someone who was in a similar position to you? I would say it's not the end of the world. That's the thing. I know so many people who had to end their career because of the injury or, I don't know, insufficient funds because, you know, tennis is a quite um, expensive sport. But Mm, you don't have to change everything yeah I changed something but not everything so there is always a way to follow your happiness if the sport is what you what makes you happy you still can be the umpire or trainer or I don't know the commentator blogger whatever you want to do but stay close to things you like so I know so many people who change sides for being the coaches or being the umpires in the same field some of them don't work in the tennis sphere anymore because they don't want to or they don't feel such a strong connection but i still believe they like watching some tennis they like to come to some tournaments to cover what's happening so like the advice it's not the end of, it's not the end of the world there's always a way to stay close to what makes you happy yeah, definitely. I really love that. Um, new question for you, Zayaga. Um, of course, after your decade-long tennis career came to a halt, you kept in touch with your sport by umpiring, which is really nicely connected to what we were just talking about. Now, to me, from an untrained eye, these seem really different in terms of how you connect with the sport. But how did you find that transition to be? At first, it was quite difficult especially when you are doing the tournaments with people you know so right now i don't want to be an umpire for the with people who i already played in my career because this is really weird <laughs> because like uh, one year ago we were playing against each other and now i have a power over you so it's really weird and people don't listen to you sometimes because you're too young or you know each other it's like eh. What are, you, what are you saying? Like, come on. It's not like that. But I learned so many uh, rules, actually, which I didn't know as I was a tennis player. So this has changed because right now uh, I see 
it differently and I see how the um, umpires work and I I was really ashamed of me that I really like how to say complain about work of other umpires when I was a player because now I see this is really <laughs> difficult to do <laughs> and uh, I wish that all the players could at least once try to be the umpire and I will behave as a player and they will not act as they should because they don't know how and maybe then they will see how difficult this work it is like how difficult this work is so that transition was was huge because i saw how difficult it is from other perspective and i started to uh respect the work other umpires do yeah i'm with you yeah, having the tables turned must have been quite interesting at first. Unfortunately, not everyone appreciates the important work that umpires do at the courts. Could you recall a moment where maybe this wasn't the case? Yes, I can. And it's actually one of my favorite stories from my umpire career, if I could call it like that. And it was actually uh, last year. So I had a license for five years and it took me four years to be appreciated that much for it's quite a long time. But it was last year during the summer, we had a Polish championship uh, under 16 boys and they were playing actually in my city, so in Łódź. And I was the umpire, chair umpire uh, on one of the matches. And we have two really problematic players, like <laughs> they cannot behave well. <laughs> And they always argue with each other, with me, with everybody. So it was really difficult match. It was really hot, like almost 40 degrees and no, no, like no clouds or sun. And I was really, <laughs> it was really hot, really difficult. Uh, the match took almost three hours to get. So it was a really long one and really problematic. So I had to be focused all the time. So I was mm, both focused and stressed because you know two players are really problematic and when the match is really problematic people come to see and that's that's another factor that changes how you how you umpire because like players came parents came uh, other coaches came to watch and see and the match ended and like the player who was seated and was actually better or supposed to be better lost and there was huge argument on the court like the player just smashed his racket it was like parted in two parts like so he threw things like outside fences and it was really he had a real tantrum yeah and in these situations when you're umpire you just leave immediately like <laughs> you are not supposed to be seen on the court because like somebody can uh, like accuse you of something you just want to avoid talking with people after problematic matches and this is what i've done <laughs> i just left to our umpire room or whatever just to hide i knew that i did a good job it was a good match from my side i knew it i was really proud of myself mm, as it was i mean i was slightly like yeah you could have done this one better this one better but still i was really really it was really good feeling because I was really stressed before this match. And um, after five or 10 minutes, uh, somebody knocked on the door and it was a coach of the player who lost. 
So it's like, oh my God, <laughs> he's gonna make such an argument. Or he's gonna bash me out for what happened. And he just said, you were the umpire on this match. Like, mm, yeah, it was me. <laughs> I was really stressed. It was really good job. You've made a really good job. And this was like, my player was the one who made problems. So it was really good job of you to act like this. And like, he was really um, straightforward. Like my player, uh, my player made a mistake and you did a great job. So like, don't think about this match because you did, you did a good job. And he left and I was so amazed. Like, wow, somebody appreciated my work. And it was a guy uh, like from the team of the player who lost. So it's more valuable. And if it was like the coach of the player who won, it would be okay. Because usually if somebody wins, then like, yeah, good job, my player won. But it was the coach of the player who lost. And I was really surprised and really like, wow, <laughs> somebody appreciated. And the story continues because I meet this coach two or three uh, weeks later on other tournaments and he sh like he shake my hand i was like oh this tournament has a really good umpires i see so he remembered me from this match so i was like wow like somebody appreciated me even after like what i've done not only on this tournament but on the others so it was really good feeling to be honest <laughs> But yeah, but uh, in the end, he still thinks high of me. So I have to live up to the expectations next time. But still, it's, it, gives you, it gives you like advantage because when you make a mistake, they remember a good match of you. It's, it's really, it doesn't happen that much because people tend to remember only your bad matches. But when somebody appreciated your good one, then you're slightly more... Uh, justified when you made a mistake next time. So yeah. that was my story, and I really yeah. like it. I really like it. <laughs> no, I love that so much too, and I love that it. I mean, it took four years, but after waiting that long, it meant so much to you, and I can totally see why. It's such a great story, um, and I can just imagine being there as well and feeling like how intense it was, and like the heat and these two like <laughs> these two young boys who are pretty like hard to yeah. deal with yeah no that's a great story okay. I, have a, I have a question so do you have like an all-time most difficult match to umpire or would it have been that one yeah I would say this was the most difficult one because of the circumstances and everything that was around this match uh, but there are so many different ones like the problem is when not only players start to argue with you, but also parents or coaches or somebody gets involved from the audience. That's the problem because I can manage to 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 end the match, but after somebody comes to you and said, "Yeah, you've made mistake here, here, here. You cannot umpire and other stuff." And there are some parents who don't see it like they they put a fault on you as an umpire because yeah, you were the umpire, so you are supposed to be perfect. But actually, there were some parents who, after the match, came to me and was like, oh, I'm so sorry that I acted like this during the match. But, you know, the emotion, so I'm sorry. And that's really <laughs> insane to see parents who actually apologize for their behavior because it's so rare to see. But I get three or 
for parents who actually apologized, which is a, like a really small amount if you take under consideration that you have like 32 players, girls, 32 players, like boys. So each parent of each like player, it's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny you mentioned that. We, not very long ago, we actually recorded uh, an interview. It would be our episode seven with a guy called Liam, who's only 20 and he's got a dance school. And he mentioned as well that the parents of the children are like <gasps> insane. They get really, oh, really into it. <laughs> But the thing is, sometimes you have a player who is really calm and really, you don't have a problem with a player at all. But you have a problem with a parent. And parents sometimes try to find a problem when there is no problem. Because they had to argue. That's that's their like, right to argue, so they will. And that's really harmful for this child. Because child does nothing wrong. And sometimes I hear players like speaking to their parents like, shut up, because I want to play. And you're making like story out of nothing. But it's really rare. Like, You know, the tennis is a um, sport of rich people and unfortunately it shows sometimes and it shouldn't be like that, but we all know it's it's what will happen in the future as well. So there are people who are really understanding and I just like being the umpire on these matches or I like parents of some like players or whatever. But sometimes when I'm going to see the match or I'm just checking the list of players who's going to be on the tournament, I'm like, Oh no, please. <laughs> Because it's so it's so difficult. I know I have to like face up them and I have to do my work because this is my work. But uh, it's just sometimes just so difficult. And I think this is like I can compare myself to teachers. So like the teachers they gossip about the you know the students and their parents and I feel the same as an umpire in this because when you're a player You don't think that people talk about you when you're a student. You don't think that teachers actually talk about you. And then you're in the other side, you're being the umpire or teacher. And we have like the blacklists or people we don't like. We're just talking about this parent, this player. This We're just gossip about everyone. And <laughs> that's really like, you see, that's the difference be be between being the umpire and being the player. So... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so it's really interesting to, I don't know, I really enjoy your story, Yaga, because you've just experienced it from kind of both sides. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> another question for you about umpiring. Um, now, so umpiring has allowed you to travel so much to do work with your country's national team. What are some of your favorite after party stories? So I guess, yeah, we travel because I do like three types of being the umpire. So in Poland, it's mostly a chair umpire. When we have like Polish national championship or whatever, we need a chair umpires. During the local tournaments, I'm just like close to the courts and just taking some scores and balls and just making sure that everything goes smoothly. And the third type, or yeah, actually third type, I can be also the chief umpire. So I can manage the whole tournament and have other people, the other umpires underneath me. So I, I'm, I'm deciding, so that's a really cool job as well. And the fourth one is the line umpire. So the thing you see in the TV when somebody's just standing on the line or sitting beside the lines and just shouting out faults or just showing it's in. So this is the fourth work I'm doing, which is, I think, the most enjoying one. 
almost social because I met so many people there from all around the world. Uh, so we have like three tournaments in Poland in which we meet with Polish umpires, but there are so many tournaments around the world, as you know. And I think my favorite one was in Budapest, which is also one of my favorite cities in Europe, if not my favorite one. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, it's it was the Davis Cup and Fed Cup. Apparently the names are changed right now, but never mind. It's It was the tournaments for the junior players. And we have 96 people on the like line umpires from all around the world, plus some 30 people on the chair umpires. They had to be more mm, famous or like more, mm, how to say it, more experienced ones. So you have another licenses and other stuff. So I was there as a line umpire and I was really, um, I felt really good for being chosen to be there around like abroad to represent somehow my country as umpire. And I've been there with my Polish friends. I've met some people from other tournaments that have been in Poland, but people are from like Spain or from Japan, uh, some guys from Italy on Romania. I have so many friends in Romania. That's really cool. And yeah, so I guess like Budapest was really cool <laughs> to have a after party uh, because I ended up in my hotel room at 6 a.m. while the work started at 8. <laughs> so it was a really short night, <laughs> at least in sleeping terms. And uh, I had a problem with speaking because it was in September and the like, weather was really weird because one day we have 20 something degrees and the next day we had seven. And unfortunately at 5 a.m. it was really cold. <laughs> And I got like, and when we were passing the river, I got like, the wind was so strong that I got a sore throat and I couldn't speak next day, but I could work. That was really cool because when I was sitting on the serve line, which is the most important one and really um, responsible, you have to be a really responsible pe person to do the uh, serve line. So also I was a team leader, so I had to be really <laughs> focused, but I managed to do the job. And the whole Budapest, I really, uh, I have a really good memories from Budapest. We have so many good parties after work with so many good people. And also it was in 2018. So yeah, I was uh, younger <laughs> back then, but uh, also there been the um, volleyball world championships right now, right then actually. <laughs> Uh, and I'm a huge volleyball fan because of my dad, of course, still. And I remember watching our national team playing against like USA or Serbia, Italy, and watching these matches with people from these countries. So it was really weird in some way because we're really competitive. Uh, but it was really like uh, uniting that we are watching this this matches matches together. Yeah. So and then we watched the yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember also watching the final in the like sports bar because it was the last night. So we decided to watch the match in the sports bar. And we, Poles, we are like seven of us. We're really into the match. And we have other guys with us, like Russians, like guys from Latvia, uh, Lithuania, and more Slavic countries. And they didn't care at all. <laughs> so that is really, really cool, like comparison between, between us. And we were watching the match, we won, like 
Poland won like back-to-back -back world championship and the bar was closed because it was Sunday and we haven't noticed and it was like 15 minutes after the end of the like the closing of the bar and the bartender came to us and was like yeah guys it's like 15 past 11 can you go because I have to like close and he was really tired like guys can you go and we won and I remember our like team captain going for the trophy and I was crying because I'm such a huge volleyball fan and I was crying really and I just turned to this guy like please we just have won world championship can you give us five more minutes please and I still can't see the face of this guy who's like okay and he just left left i was like yeah he gave us like five more minutes to watch the like trophy ceremony and everything and i still like i love this tournament because i've met so many people it was my first time on the serve line first time as a team leader and people give me so much responsibility as a umpire so i was really like also appreciated as a line umpire but then I also remember this volleyball championships and watching the matches with the people from other countries. It was such a good tournament, like all in all. So I, <laughs> there's so many good stories from this. But yeah, if I have to like pick my favorite uh, after parties, it was the whole week in Budapest, for sure. That sounds amazing. Wow. And I mean, during COVID, I guess this has been stunted, but is it something you're looking to get back into as soon as everything's open again or what? So um, actually with umpires, um, when we meet during the tournaments, like it doesn't matter if it's the line thing or like the chair thing, we always like, we never go actually to like clubs or other stuff because it's not the point. Like we have to do the work next day and we have to be responsible. So whenever we have some, I don't say parties, but it's like, yeah, we can gather in one room and have a drink or just talk or play some games or whatever, just to catch up with us because we're friends as umpires. So that's the point. So after, yeah, I actually, um, I look forward to the big tournaments. So the um, international one, which can be organized this year because last year they were all canceled because of the COVID. So when you're a line umpire, you have like 30 people, other people on the line. So from other countries, from your country, and you see them only like maybe three times a year because of this tournament. So that's what I'm missing, actually working on the line, because it's really fun. It's, it's really like, um, I would say it's really tiring, even more sometimes than doing the chair umpire thing or the being just the umpire on site. But it's more fun because you work in a group, you meet people, then doing stuff after work. And that's 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 the purpose, maybe, of, of this tournament. So this is what I'm missing, the big tournaments in which I can meet with others. Yeah. Yeah, that's gotta be so nice as well. And um I remember you saying that you really got to know people so much so that you can tell who the umpire on TV is by listening to their voice. Actually, that's really funny because uh, when I'm watching like Australian Open or like Grand Slams, I know so of those umpires or people that I can recognize the chair umpire without looking because I know the voice. And that's crazy because like normal people, when they see the tennis match, they're like, who's playing? And I am like, 
who's umpiring <laughs> that's more important for me that's really crazy because with some of those guys they're like the best umpires they are like uh they have a gold badge on the like grand slams and uh with some of them i worked uh, like it was really nice to actually work with such professionalists and that they actually came to poland uh but some of them i just learned to to hear because some of my friends they traveling around the world they like doing the umpire thing in americas or in japan in china they're like in like in uh, doha and this is so crazy to see them umpiring them and then i can just watch on the line and like yeah i know this guy or oh, i know this guy <laughs> that is really cool to, to actually look for people you might know <laughs> so definitely yeah oh that's amazing uh, we know that you're a part of the Erasmus Student Network. For those who don't know what that is, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, so Erasmus Student Network, or known as ESN, is actually a European Union initiative to help students around the world who's traveling with the Erasmus program. So Erasmus program is the student exchange in between countries. So you can spend your mobility semester in some other country, some other university. And actually this is what I'm doing now because I'm in Finland and I'm on my mobility, mobility semester here. So the Erasmus one. And Erasmus Student Network uh, is mostly about some local sections in each of the city or uh, each of the university who um, take take care of students that come to this university. So basically what I was doing in, and I'm still doing, in my university, so in Poland, in Łódź, we, our section is ESNI, like I, you know, the, <laughs> like, like this I. <laughs> and what we're doing is we're, um, we're organizing time for our Erasmus students. So we're taking them for some um, trips around Poland, we are um, doing some workshops or we provide them with uh, food tasting or like beer tasting, Polish, Polish beer tasting or some like uh, hiking around the city. Uh, we also organizing parties like theme, themed parties, which is really cool. And I used to be the sports coordinator so all of the events that were connected with sports were uh, under my coordination or under my in charge of sports <laughs> events and this is how it looks like we're just uh, taking care of Erasmus students making fun and making them memorize their their mobility mobility semester the best they can that's amazing. And do you have um, one or maybe two uh, Erasmus experiences that really stand out to you as like they were just so much fun? Yeah, I mean, I guess both of them are important because um, here the ESN, I know there is a section in Turku where I am, but because of the COVID, it's not possible to make all of the um, events going. But back in Poland, I remember so many events because in the beginning of each semester, when new Erasmus students come, we organize something like um, orientation week. So each day we have a new event, which ends up with the orientation weekend, which is a camp for Erasmus students. 
we take like 150 people to some to some hotel or like some camp and we provide some parties and we want them as Erasmus students to meet each other because this is the semester during which they gonna like spend time together and we also want to meet them because we're the coordinators we're people from ESN so we want to see which Erasmus students we have and this is really cool because this is like three days of party <laughs> unfortunately we have to like organize most of the stuff so we're responsible of like cleaning or making music some food and parties like games other stuff so we're working there so it's <laughs> it's not that fun uh, especially in the mornings but uh, we also party so this is really cool because we are about to meet the new people and as you may know or not i am really people dependent person i really like meeting new people so these two or three days are amazing for me because i can speak with everybody there so so this is this is really a highlight those days the parties we make like the themed parties they're so funny we've made like american college one when we had the chill reader group dancing in the club and like the solo cups and yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we play the uh, the games like the beer drinking beer, beer drinking games beer yeah. pong and other stuff yeah. on the balcony of the club so mm -hmm. people could play we had a sims party where people come like came with this uh how the yeah the, the crystals yeah we had a like event of making these crystals and two hours later we get the party so people got the crystals on their heads that's really cool. Uh, we had the Polish wedding. That's the most funny party you can go. Polish wedding? What? I'm yeah, sorry, because... I've never been to a Polish wedding. Like, why is <laughs> it? Why is it a big deal? Tell me about it. Yeah, because actually we're marrying two people in the club, but it's like fake. But still, everything goes like in the Polish like wedding. So what's unique is the table because we have the table of like the best food from Poland or really like regional ones so all the sausages cabbage or like uh I don't even know how to call those things in English because they're so like Polish things and we provide the snacks for people so they ha don't have to pay for them during the party and of course vodka because in Poland we drink vodka all the time <laughs> during the party and yeah so we have the Polish wedding we play some Polish songs as well, so the most like known for being during the weddings. So it's really cool party because everybody is like waiting for the wedding part because it's usually at two a.m. or like one something. We actually made a whole ceremony how how it goes in Polish church or whatever. So we have a girl in the white dress, we have a groom, the bride, the uh, price. So <laughs> it looks really cool, and people want to come and it's one of the finest parties i would say we're doing. that sounds amazing that sounds like so much fun and what you said as well um about being really people oriented it's so so lovely that you can see that in every area of your life that we've discussed today with your tennis and how much you love seeing your umpire friends and everything and how you like connecting with people at the after parties but then also with your erasmus stuff and everything you've got going on there that's such a nice quality to have for sure true <laughs> yeah now also yaga what advice would you give to someone looking to make the best of their first uh, erasmus experience 
So um, my Erasmus was slightly different because of the COVID situation. Uh, however, I've met a really good people. They were my roommates. So I have two people from Slovenia and one guy from Portugal. And because of them, my Erasmus was really amazing because we managed to travel together, to go for some barbecues together. And my advice would be people. So like meeting people, even though you're not into meeting people, you, you should try at least during your Erasmus because this is what you will remember. You won't remember the, the, the school, the, the learning you did or other stuff because this is not the main of main importance on the Erasmus. The importance is to meet people because after you can like visit each other after Erasmus or you can like um, experience new cultures, not only the culture of the country, country you're in, but also the culture of people you, you're with. So that's really cool. And like, you have to remember that all of those, your friends are here for the same reason. No, nobody goes for Erasmus to the land, come on. They're here to meet other people, to, maybe not to party, but also to party. But that's the most important one. When you meet amazing people, you can go for everything. It, was, it would be the most boring Erasmus of your life. But with right people, it would be the best one. So that's the advice. That's so lovely. And Yaga, I'm really sad to say, but we've come to the end of the interview now. I can't believe it. Um, it's been such a fun one again. And we've covered so much ground. We've covered you being a rising tennis star, your transition to umpiring, <laughs> your um, Erasmus experience as well. And given everything we've discussed today, what is the overarching lesson that you would like to give to anybody listening? So I said it was like, don't change in plans, change you. Because this is what happened to me through all of my life. So I wanted to be a tennis player. Unfortunately, the plans changed. And now I'm the tennis umpire. But is it bad? It is not. Come on. There's so many ways to achieve your happiness and you should follow each way you possibly can. So the plans changed for me because I wanted to be a tennis player, but I'm not. But come on, it doesn't change me. Like I'm still me, <laughs> but I'm now I have like different objectives, but I'm doing things with the same passion. Yeah, I cannot be a player, but I can be an umpire. I'm still close to what I love. Um, the same with the Erasmus thing. I really wanted to get into the medical school to be a doctor, but apparently I wasn't good enough. <laughs> so I decided to go for biotechnology. And if it wasn't for this, I wouldn't meet people from Erasmus and I wouldn't be on Erasmus right now. So plans changed, but I haven't. I'm really, I'm really glad that I met all those people. Yeah, because sometimes it's, all about the journey yeah not about the goal you're going so i think that we cannot let this change in plans stop us or like change us or let us change how we like see the world because it's still possible to achieve happiness a huge thank you to yaga vigoda for joining us this week for being so accommodating during our technical difficulties and for sharing the lesson don't let change in plans change you a huge thank you also to our listeners for tuning into the truthfully human podcast 
In our next episode, we interview a familiar face, Sarah Walker, on living abroad, the highs, lows, and what you should know before making a major move.